but we took it over and he was generating negative 300 grand a year. Really? Which was a shocker when I saw it. And my <laughs> wife kind of looked at me like, what did you do sort of thing? <laughs> Welcome to the picture of wealth or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. That is the voice of Josh Bickle, who is the owner of Standard Roofing and Integrity Roofing, which are a residential roofing company and a commercial roofing company. So as you can imagine, uh, he has a team of over 40 people and managing 40 people, uh, a lot of them in the field and a lot of them of younger age demographic. He has a few challenges to uh, work through weather. He's got people gone sick schedules, uh, shortages of material. We get into everything in this podcast that has led to the success of his business and what he is up to in the future with property development. And again, he's a, a guy who I've known for a long time, but uh, wanted on the show for a while. And he's a guy who I CrossFit with uh, for the last year, a true leader, a true inspirer uh, for businesses and uh, great community involvement, tons of work with the community and giving back. And uh, again, a real class act. And most recently won a Dancing with the Stars show with his wife Joanna and uh, so again behind uh, the full sleeve tattoos the rough blue collar lifestyle at work he's very diverse individual I'll just put it that way so without further ado Josh Bickle I'm excited today to have Josh Bickle on the show today Uh, we are in my home studio and uh, Josh is a CrossFit uh, workout partner and a business associate from Salmon Arm so this is a a great local representation and uh, listener if you are uh, running a business with you know, multiple employees and lots of moving parts. This is one you're going to want to tune into because there is uh, a number of things we're going to uncover today. Josh, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Dustin. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> this is great because you know me uh, fairly well, so you might be able to throw some challenge back at me, and I'm I'm open to uh, some some uh, some grinding along the way. So I look forward to it. <laughs> so, Josh, warm us up. Uh, integrity roofing, standing roof, standard roofing. What uh, what are these businesses that you're running right now? Um, long story short, they're both, one's a residential roofing company. We do primarily, um, shingles, steep slope roofing, gutters, soffit, and then standard roofing's more commercial industrial, flat roofing applications, TPO, more bigger commercial industrial kind of things. So when someone like wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, uh, today or starting today, roofing is probably not something that comes to someone's mind. So how does that come about? Uh, honestly, it kind of fell in my lap, um, I had a buddy from high school that wanted to get out of his house. And at the time I had uh, rentals at the university I was attending. So he moved in with me and um, he was at a bar one night, met a contractor, contractor needed a roof. He approached me for some money for some tools to do the roof. So no problem. Um, And then he asked him to do another roof and another roof. So he needed a truck and equipment at that point. So I'm like, well, if I'm funding this thing, I'll, I'll learn what I can and we'll, we'll do it together. So that's kind of where it started. Is that, is, is luck find you like normally in life or is that just something that happens at one time? Well, if you're in the trades long enough, you, you kind of wonder if this is what you should have done. <laughs> um, but like I said, I was young and it was an opportunity. Um, roofing is a very uh, physically intense job. You're dealing with the elements, the sun, not to mention the weight of the materials, the height, the ropes, all that kind of stuff that go with it. So if I had to do it again, would I? I don't know, but it, it, it worked out. Does your wallet think you should do something different? <laughs> I think my wallet's pretty happy right now, yes. <laughs> so, okay, so we're uh, backing it up, getting it going. You've got, uh, how many years ago was that? I would have been uh, eight, no, shit. That would have been about when I was 22, I believe. 21 years ago? Yes, that's about right. So 21 years ago, you lend us some tools, and then... 
But this isn't like that was in Ontario. That was in Ontario. So um, I was with that partner for, I think we were at it for about a year. And then honestly, partners are difficult. We both had completely contrasting ideas of what should be done, where the money should be allocated um, and that kind of nature. So that, that relationship fell apart. I did have a second partner. Uh, we, that one worked for about a year and a half. Same kind of issues happened. And uh, I was going to hang up my tool pouch and get it onto something else. At the time, I was in rentals as well. Um, but my wife said, what do you need a partner for? Why don't you just go at it on your own? So I thought that was a good idea. I was kind of nervous doing something on your own because like, you're 100% accountable for everything that you do. Right. So that was uh, a bit of a fear that I got over. But um, it also worked out because at that time, we moved across the country to British Columbia from Ontario and uh, started from scratch with what I had learned with my previous two partners and kind of hit the ground running. So the landing in Salmon Arm, probably at that time, there have been like 13,000, 14,000 people. It, and you just thought, I'll just start knocking on doors and start a roofing company? Or how did that work? Um, well, I was living with my uncle out in Blind Bay, and uh, I met up with a contractor. I drove by his job site and stopped and said, hey, do you have a roofing contractor? He's like, oh, actually, I don't. But he was only at the floor stage of the project. So he's like, if you want to help me finish framing the house, I'll give you the roof. So I was like, all right. So uh, that's kind of where that progressed in Blind Bay. And then I did, I'm very, I guess you could say I'm social. So I did go out in town and try to introduce myself to whoever I could. I joined a boxing club um, just to kind of get my face out there. And that's where I started meeting other people. And then I landed a, a bigger contractor in town to try me out. And uh, yeah, he told his contractor buddies and one thing kind of led into another and it grow it grew substantially since then. So where where are we? At? So pick integrity roofing, which is the residential. How many people? Or what's what's the like? How's the the size without getting into numbers? What's the size of like a, a roofing company? How do you gauge like how much work it is or how big it is? Um. So let me try to understand your question. So sure. you're asking like how did we grow to where we are now? How many people we, do you manage like right at now? This time, at this yeah. point? Um, so between the two companies, it's probably just under 40. Um, each call it split in half, 18 a piece. Right. would be about accurate. And so you have, and again, you mentioned it of like people outside. Like when I envision this business or when we coach people in, in business, it's, this isn't a very static business. This isn't 40 people sitting in an office and you need to buy them a computer. You have a lot of moving parts and in infrastructure. Yes. And risk. Yes. So how, how do you manage that? Is it um, well, another person? A, a lot of it happened uh, dynamically as we grew. So I was always a big reader when I was younger with uh, self-help books and that kind of stuff. So I was always taught to kind of reinvest in what you're doing and that's where you're going to get your greatest returns. So when I was, when we moved to town and it was just me and uh, actually my wife was doing the books and sometimes she'd actually come help me clean up on job sites. Um, I was very diligent about writing down my tasks every day. So I knew that if I grew, I'd have to pass some of those tasks down. So I had a clear outline of what I was doing every day, so what I could allocate to the new guy. And then my job was always constantly changing, so I was kind of figuring it out as we went. So um, from one crew to three crews was probably the biggest changes I had to encounter because now you have people in charge of the jobs that wasn't necessarily me right. that I had to teach them Sometimes people do things differently. So I had to teach them the way I wanted it done. So I knew that every job was being done the same way. Right. So if there was an issue, I could diagnose it pretty quickly. Um, and also just to make sure that everybody had the same mentality on how you treat your clients. Cause that's huge too. You can have a fantastic tradesman. That's a complete 
douchebag yeah. for lack of a better term. So you have to make sure whoever you're leaving on those sites is able to represent you and your brand accordingly. Um, so that was tough for me because I was very, uh, hands-on. I wanted to be the guy on site. I wanted to know every shingle, how it was put down. So to, to let go of that was very difficult for me. Um, and my wife was kind of included on that because it got to the point where it was seven days a week, 16 hours a day, sunrise right. to sundown. That was paperwork all night. And it was, um, needless to say, our, our marriage was struggling for a while there. Yeah. Um, then we had a child and things kind of grew from there. So she kind of put her foot down and said, you know what, if this is what's happening, something's got to change or else this isn't going to work. So a lot right. of it came down to our relationship. So I scaled down from seven days a week to six days a week to five days a week, had a second child. So then I was like, I wanted to be there more for my, my kids growth. So I try to get home around two or three now. So yeah, I was going to ask about that. Cause I think that's important. And so I got two questions coming up. So the first one along the lines of when you started delegating things. So listener, if you're in your business thinking I need, you know, I need, I'm not balanced. I need to find some scale. Was there times where you empowered somebody to do something and they did it wrong you know those early days and then how did you kind of stick handle your way through that what i noticed from talking to other guys in the trades as well is everybody wants to get big quick and i don't think that's realistic in the trades so um i definitely had conflicts with some of my guys some of the things they were doing weren't the way it was told so you, you learn a lot about you and how you're supposed to um, treat people because nobody's going to be just like you. Everybody has different strengths. Everybody has different weaknesses. So um, I had to adjust my mindset from thinking everybody can do it the exact same way I do to kind of giving people a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and saying, okay, you're going to do it a little bit differently. In the end, you'll get the same result. Would it be the way I do it? Maybe not. Right. But as long as the quality's there, the client was happy, we were able to navigate the personality differences. So that part of it was huge. Um, and again, once we moved to a, a bigger kind of point in the business where I was essentially off the tools, that was, I had to train everybody to the point where they could completely run a site from A to B without me on site. Um, while I was in the office trying to handle with all the paperwork and then you get the office staff side of, side of things. So kind of back to what I said at the beginning, I did write down what I did every day. So everybody was gradually taking on more and more as the company grew. So the guys that started with me, some of them are still with me now and they've moved up the ladder as well. And it's kind of grown dynamically that way with my role constantly changing and then just delegating a little bit more as things go up. Is there one sort of specific story or book or something that that helps you pass on those messages to people? Like when you're trying to empower someone and trying to empower a, a staff member, is there anything that you always kind of come back to? Is there a website you use a tool or you just think in your head, you know, just pick up your shit and get going and just do it like I do, or is what is what's the the motivate? Because you do have some long term staff, and so it obviously says something for for the culture. Um, so culture is a big thing for us. This may not be what you're looking for for an answer, but um, roofers, drywallers, a lot of trades are pretty um, transient businesses. You got a lot of guys that come and go. Um, sometimes they have criminal problems or tax problems. Um, but what I realized is a lot of times people just want a place to belong. Right. So. Um, we started out with t-shirts and some of these guys that would work for us to get a t-shirt and they're over the moon. I'm like, 
what, what, like, I can't believe how happy you are for having a t-shirt. He's like, I've never had a t-shirt from a company I work at. And they were so pumped. Right. So then that kind of resonated with me. I'm like, okay, so they just want a place to be. So then we went as far as getting business cards. So if they're on a site and somebody comes by, like, here's my card. And they yeah. over the moon, like, it's just things to make them part of the business. Um, also staff meetings were important because like, people are great when you tell them what to do, but people also like to be heard as well. Right. And a lot of the times they had ideas I didn't have. So like, how do we improve customer service? How do we improve the speed of the job? How do we ensure that the job site's as good as it was when we left? Like, and all those kind of variables that go along with taking a job from the beginning to the end. Um, so once you start working as a team, again, that whole thing is reinforced that I'm part of something. Um, we also did get involved in like, um, profit sharing, uh, we do piecework as well. So right. there's a lot of like incentives we have built into it. And a lot of people like in my comp, like some, some of my competition, why would you do that? Blah, 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 blah. But the long game is kind of what I always thought to focus on. So if you can retain the guys that are great and they can train the way you've trained them to other people, the, the whole thing grows almost on its own. Like I'm at the point where I can, between the two companies, I can work two, three hours a day if I want. Right. So, so in the in the in a plug for the trades because I think it's there there needs to be a little bit more promotion that there can be sexy things like a hard working roofer like how much would they make in a day like I guess maybe their hourlies but pick an average like in the middle the um, hours are different some of our guys by the hour are like thirty to thirty seven kind of range right um, some of our piecework guys on the shingle stuff like if they go for it they can make over five hundred bucks a day right but they're working for it. Right. And you look at these guys and they're jacked. They're in good shape. They got great suntans. <laughs> like, and honestly, if you have the right kind of culture with it, they have fun. Yeah. Like they have the music on, they're singing to Kelly Clarkson with each other. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of neat to be at different job sites every day too. Right. Uh, a lot of the guys that are in manufacturing, for example, they're stuck in the same building doing the same thing day in, day out. Right. So there is a little bit more, uh, Ability to see different places. Some of the places we do on the lake are just beautiful. Yeah. Give you a different perspective on things and you meet a lot of people. Right. And so in, in going kind of finishing on my second question, which was, you know, when you decided to go home at 2 PM on average, uh, during the week, was there like an email that came in and said, okay, Josh, you know, you're approved for 2 PM or like, I know your motivation, why you had to do it, but how did it actually roll out in practice? Um, I just kind of set that number in my head. Like if you're a nine to five kind of guy, you know, 455, I got to get home in five minutes or whatever the, the story may be. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. just kind of set that and plan my day around it. So I do go in early. If I'm particularly busy, I'll go in at four, four thirty in the morning sometimes to get right. through my paperwork. Um, but generally I just kind of plan my day like that or plan my week like that. Uh, but being the trades, you can't necessarily plan everything. Like I'll have a day set up the night before and then Come 8 a.m., that whole plan is out the window because there's an emergency on that site and the material didn't show up to that site. So right. it's a very dynamic um, process that is constantly changing. So you got to adapt. You got to be able to keep your customers in the loop. Like we got delays for X, Y, and Z reason. We'll be there hopefully on this day. Yeah. And like honestly, with the customer side of things, as long as you're clear and open and honest about what's happening, people are understanding. They just want to know what's going on, they want to be in the loop. Yeah. And what, like, would you, do you know what the market share you have in the, in the region is? Um, I, I'd probably say upwards of 80, 85%. Yeah. Uh, we've built 
a lot of longstanding relationships with contractors in the area, which is huge because they're your repeat clients. Right. Um, when I moved to town, some of the roofers in town didn't care who they were working with and didn't give anybody special treatment. Like right. with contractors, whatever they need, we're there because a lot of their jobs are hung up on uh, needs a roof. You yeah. have a roof, you can't do your electrical, you can't insulate, you can't do anything. The job's right. pretty much at a standstill. So we've always been good at catering to our contractors. We deal with insurance companies. Realtors are phenomenal. Yeah. They see houses every day. The house needs a roof. Call Josh. He'll right. take care of you. So um, honestly, I don't remember what your question was Well, now. no, it's, it's, <laughs> it, you're answering it because it's just like, uh, just for listener getting relativity to what what sort of your mind operates like because again you know we're in a small town you've got a, you know, one or two of the great businesses in town and and so i think we should share that and help you know for a listener that's uh trying to grow grow growing um this is this is good this yeah. is good information yeah the thing too is um again the whole roofer had that stigma about it like it's roofers drywall there's a lot of trades have these negative stigmas and when my wife and i kind of went out on our own it's like what are the stigmas what are the stereotypes what can we do to change that perspective so we are very good at the basics and the basics are calling people back when you say you're going to call back yeah. get them a quote when you say they're going to get them a quote do the quote for the price you said you're going to do the quote for do it when you were going to do the job like yeah. follow up when the job is done to make sure they're happy like this basics really basic stuff that is time consuming sometimes boring but it's necessary to have that kind of mutual respect between your client and you and also jobs that don't go our way we don't get them i'll call those people and say hey i realized we didn't get your job and that's totally fine i just like to know why yeah and people are always most of the time they're open about it. Oh, I had a friend that knows a guy, so we hired him or me and my brother did it or the price was too high. We had a competitor that was lower. And honestly, I don't believe in being the lowest priced contractor out there. Yeah. So. No, you're delivering value. And so is, is there anything that you've picked up from those calls that you've had to change? Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. A lot of them come down to, I noticed when things started rolling a lot and I felt that I was kind of stretched, like I'm sure everybody that's growing goes through that point where they're like, I don't know how I'm going to possibly fit all this in one day without right. pissing off four people. So when you get to those stages, sometimes a lot of the, the basics kind of goes under the, under the wayside, if you will. So, um, I found when I was at those points in my life, I realized something wasn't going the way it should go. So what do I need to do to change it? So either that would be changing a system we have to make things easier, uh, delegating something to another guy that has more time on his plate, hiring potentially uh, a different office person or a different position, like a controller versus an admin person that can take these tasks to ensure they're getting done so that I don't have to worry about it. Uh, so that was always something that has resonated with me is, I was always the gauge of when things needed to change. Because when I was getting overwhelmed, I knew right. something wasn't right and something had to change. Um, finding out what needed to be changed was sometimes the difficult part. But again, as you know, you, you talk to people. I have a lot of older uh, gentlemen that have, not necessarily in the trades, but business guys that have made it. And the, the input I get from those guys is amazing. Right. Like little tips and tricks that they failed on or succeeded on and how to mastermind principles. Yeah. How to utilize those to to your own business and kind of uh, mistakes and things that you do wrong. Those are the, what you learn from the most. How how do you gauge? So you kind of said, you know, if you're recognizing your bottlenecks and then now you got managers in the office, 
And do you act now on their saying, oh, I'm getting overwhelmed, you know, and then I need to get you an assistant. And then when you look at like the workload, you're like, hey, man, like pull up your jog drive. Like I could do way more than that. Like how do you gauge honoring? Because in the office, that's a cost center. Yeah. Right. I know it's leverage, but it's you're taking money out of like the profit to put back in there to make it easier. So do you look at those the managers and go, hey, like, okay, I'm going to get you an assistant, but you better generate. Yeah. Yeah. So the guys in the office cost me money. The guys in the field make me money. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. Uh, so we're, we're kind of in a smaller neighborhood up here or geogra- geographical area. So we've kind of reached our market cap in terms of what the demographic can use for roofers. Right. So where I'm at now, like I said, we have a pretty strong market share. Um, the way we're set up, I don't really need to grow or change too much to maintain. I'm mm. not much of a maintainer though. Cause I always feel like if you're not growing you're falling behind kind of attitude so i'm all at that transition in my life right now well what's the next step um but when my guys do get overwhelmed yes you're right it's kind of like come on man (laughs) i used to do this by myself you can do this or i'll help like again a lot of times i only need to work two three hours a day in spring especially you know we do home shows and stuff to generate leads and we'll have big influx of quotes to do so i got uh Two guys at Standard that can help me do with quotes at uh, Integrity. We have a great manager that does a lot of the quotes, and then there's me, so I can do do it all. So, right, whichever company's struggling behind, I'll go jump on the ruse and measure them up and see what I can do to help. Uh, same with the paperwork, we do a lot of contractors who send PDFs. So I don't know about you, but sitting in the office all day looking <laughs> at computer screens is well, I don't love it, but I, I do spend a lot of time here, so yeah. it's uh, it's different. But you have people that manage the PDFs and all the stuff. Well, yes, two degrees. So again, my guys that have moved up have were on the tools originally. So they like being outdoors. They like working. Right. So after ten jobs on their on the PDFs, they get a little bit old. So I'll jump in and do it with them. Like it's yeah. I have no problems doing what needs to get done. If we're overwhelmed on a job, I'll stop by, I'll throw my tool pouch once in a while, not very often. Yeah. <laughs> um if the roof needs to get loaded, I'll go load it. Like, right. like I'm not averse to not doing things that need to get done. Um, but again, it is very hips and valleys. So yeah. spring, it ramps up summer, it kind of plateaus, right? Fall it ramps up winter, it slows down. Right. So you kind of expect when those trends will come and how to kind of like get ready for it. And we all kind of know that now. What I hear often in the blue collar kind of sector is like, well, if I'm not in the office, you know, first in last out, then like my guys won't respect me. And, you know, how, how, like, how could I ever stop work at 2 p.m.? You know, if listener, you're looking and scratching it like, well, I could never do that or yeah. I could never take a Friday off. How, how did you position that to them? Like, obviously, if you're getting up early, you could maybe say I'm working eight hours. But did you specifically talk to them about say, listen, I am available by cell phone, but at 2, I'm out of here? Um, honestly, I am, a, I am a big proponent <laughs> Of being there before anybody else. So I generally try to get there a half hour to an hour before the guys are in. And then I can review their paperwork from the day before, look at what we're supposed to do that day, make right. adjustments for the weather. Free uh, time. Anybody time. in the trades is also going to understand that, oh, my dog's sick. I can't come in. Oh, I got in a fight with my girlfriend. I'm not coming in. Yeah. I'm late because of X, Y, and Z. So in the morning, that's when 90% of the problems happen. And that's when all the schedules need to be organized, rev- mm. changed, or whatever whatever the thing may be. Um, in terms of leaving at two, I always have my phone on me. Like honestly, I turn off my ringer at 10 PM and I'll yeah. answer it any time of the day because things need to get done. People right. need to talk to If there's an emergency, 
I can easily jump in my truck and get down there. Uh, but for the most part, once the guys are on site, they want to put in their eight to 10 hours that day. When they're done for the day, they just go back to the shop, park the truck and drive home. Like there's not too much feedback they need from me at the end of the day. Right. And in the mornings, supervisors always come in. We have a little recap what happened the day before. If they're done a job, they tell me the complications or the unexpected things or everything went fine. Sign off on their paperwork, check their safety stuff, make sure it's all there before we file it and invoice it. Right. So most of my morning, the chaos is, that's when it is. I, I just said like you're off topic, but how, what is the most common reason that people don't come in? Listener, if you're a business owner, you know, this is a real thing just sort of nowadays. I, I remember when we didn't have texting or any of that stuff, and you had to pick up the phone and call. <laughs> your boss. Yeah, you had to call your boss, and that was terrifying. <laughs> so you had to be sick. I think it's almost too easy now. And yeah. I don't want to speak out of turn, but a lot of the younger group these days doesn't seem to have the ethic that we right. had when we were younger. I'm sure our generation said that about yeah, us too. Yeah. Um, the most common one is I'm not coming in today because my – X, Y, and Z. It's always some ridiculous thing that I'm, right. I have a dentist appointment at two. I'm like, well, couldn't you work till noon? Yeah. But I just stopped having those battles. I'm like, if you don't want to work, that's fine. Yeah. And I just deal with it. I don't take it personally. I used to get really fired up. I so bet. It's all about my schedule and you're screwing up my schedule. Yeah. You're messing that up for my client. You're putting that job behind. Um, but I've gotten to the point where it's just like, I don't want to say I'm jaded by it, but it's like, it is what it is. What am I going to gain from fighting them or arguing with them? Yeah. Um, employees are hard to get and my guys are all fantastic. Right. And everybody's got different tolerances on how much they can work or how much they want to work or how much heat they can endure, how much cold they can endure. Yeah. So there's, there's so many different aspects that go on in people's lives and how they can uh, manage not even not only the physical stuff, but also like the mental stuff of what we're doing day in day out. For for any realtor listener, what is like what is the most common thing you see in a roof that's a problem, or uh, maybe someone thinks it's a problem, but it's not. Like if there's some moss on the roof, is that like oh my god, that's a major problem? Like I'm trying to think for realtors adding value or listener, if you are a realtor, you know what what would that be that we could help? Well, um, like I said, we deal with contractors, realtors, and insurance companies. Realtors are phenomenal because they see a lot of homes. They have a lot of people ask them a lot of questions. They deal with home inspectors and all that stuff of that nature. Um, realtors are very good at calling me and saying, hey, could you mind stopping by this house? We're concerned because of things you mentioned. Right. It has moss or we're not sure how old it is. Can you just assess the conditions so I can let my client know so we can make an informed decision about our offer? Right. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing is probably moss because people assume the roof's shot. Especially though, in this region. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. On a shaded side of the house, it, there's a little bit more prone to moss. But you can put laundry detergent on it, kills the moss, and the roof's fine. Right. Um, other times it's leaks or there's stains in the ceilings that may mm. or may not be from the current roof. So a lot of it's just kind of investigative ah. stuff to give people clarity of mind, I guess, before they commit to something. Because yeah. a roof can be five grand to 40 grand, depending right. on your house sort of thing. Right. So what's the grossest thing you found in like an attic or when you resheated a roof? It was like, we, uh, I don't want to say where, but we were in the area <laughs> and it was a cedar roof. We had to, when you do a cedar roof, you take the cedar off and then they're strapping and then you okay. sheet the roof and then shingle it. Okay. So we pulled off all the, the cedar and there was the biggest porno collection <laughs> we've ever seen like boxes and boxes of porn in the attic in the attic and he, there was even like a platform there oh gross like, i think it was two or three sheets of plywood with like a little kind of lounger couch like 
Uh, yeah, gross. It was hilarious, but kind of, uh. <laughs> and then you got to get off the roof and look this guy in the eye and say, oh, yeah, things are going great. <laughs> oh, yeah, he maybe is not uh, oh, yeah, a great he, owner, though. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. he, he was home, and then, like, with cedar, like, if you're in the business, some of those cedar shakes will fall into the attic, so it's kind of like... Got to go in there and get yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so it was some, sometimes it's awkward. <laughs> I was thinking bats and all sorts of oh, other stuff. Oh, bats, dead raccoons, like birds, cats. Like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Or just mold. Sometimes some things you uncover are just like yeah. pretty nasty. But yeah, the porn collection was pretty impressive. That's, that's classic. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to pivot to now, and you kind of mentioned it as like, your business is running well. Uh, you know, real estate's a part of your program. It's been a part of sort of the ownership in your current companies, but- Help us understand sort of your vision for real estate going forward. Like what is, you know, you know, maybe help us understand your, how you acquired the buildings that you, you operate out of. Cause that's, I think important. Um, like when I started, like when I was in university and like I said, my buddy came to live with me at the time I had four rental houses. So I've always been in kind of the residential rental business on that side of it. And then as I, uh, the business grew, we had to rent a shop obviously, because we had dump trucks, pickup trucks, right. inventory. We had some metal breaking equipment. We needed an office. So the way things moved, we moved up. And um, my landlord at the time was an older gentleman. I just kind of said, hey, if you're ever interested in selling, I'd, I'd be interested. Right. But that was it. And a couple of years later, he's like, I'm going to sell. Do you want to buy it? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. So that side of things kind of just, I want to say, flowed naturally. Like I just planted the seed and... Right. When he was ready, he he pulled the trigger. Um, it was a little bit more complicated than that. Like residential stuff is pretty straightforward. This building was owned by his company, so I, it was a share sale. So there's a lot of stuff I had to learn because it is yeah. different. Um, the liabilities, all the kind of things that I didn't know about, I was kind of forced to learn about. Like what? Um, well, his holding company owned it. or okay. Sorry, his operating company owned it, and he used to sell sawmills. Okay. But he hadn't sold them in 10 years. But theoretically, if somebody had a problem with the sawmill and came after him, they'd be ultimately uh-huh. coming after me yeah. because I had to acquire the shares of his company. So technically, gotcha. I was the company. So we had to keep, I think it was only a year or two, we had to maintain that company. Ah. Yeah. And then we moved the building over to a holding company. But he also, that company also owned a lot, a residential house. We had to work in money in the bank account for his tax purposes, like there was way more to it than I was expecting. Yeah. But in the long run, it worked out. We ended up selling the lot to a friend of ours, Shane there. Right. Um, the house we rented for a period of time and then we sold the house. So everything was a net positive on that deal. And then again, like, I don't know about you, but it's like a lot of businesses or people get opportunities from who they know not necessarily what you know. Yeah. So uh, our industrial park's not very big and I know most of the guys in there. So they knew I bought the building. I, the guy across the street came over a couple years later and said, Hey, I'm selling my building. Would you be interested? Absolutely. Yeah. And so we bought that building. And then when we bought, uh, we bought a standard roofing, which is a commercial building, right? A commercial, a commercial business. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, commercial roofing business. Yeah. yeah and that, that was the same, same kind of thing even with the business side of it. Like the, owner at the time approached me and said, Hey, would you be interested in buying our business? So they were kind of a comp competitor, but like we were night and day above them. Right. But they did have this accreditation called the RCBC that I was interested in getting. So it made sense. Um, it kind of turned out to be a schmozzle. He was never completely transparent on how the, uh, the financials actually looked. 
Oh, okay. So when we took it over and like, I kind of, I knew the business well enough to know that whatever it is, I'll be able to fix it. Right. Cause I knew his staff, I knew his trucks. I knew a lot of his clientele cause he was doing more, um, industrial commercial stuff than I was at the time. Right. So I knew he had the ability to run a business and I knew the business model was there, but we took it over and he was generating negative 300 grand a year. Really? Which was a shocker when I saw it. And my <laughs> wife kind of looked at me like, what did you do sort of thing? <laughs> um, but what was done was done. So we had, uh, honestly, we just took a lot of the systems that we had built across the street at Integrity and applied them to that. Uh, their staff was obviously really reluctant when we took over. Like, who's this guy? What's going to happen? Do I have right. a job? Right. This is going to suck. And honestly, we had a big meeting. you sit meeting. them down? Yeah, that's exactly what we did. I, the day I took over, we had a meeting in the shop. So this is who I am. This is what we do across the street. After walking around the yard, the trucks were kind of decrepit. The yard was a disaster. The office was right. a shit show. Like the guy was taking calls from fax machines. Like it was like, it yeah. was, it was pretty bad. And I think once I sat down with them and told them what my vision was, what I thought we could do, what I wanted to change. And then we had an hour long talk. Like, what do you guys want to see different? Like, what would you want to do differently? So after that meeting, I think everybody was much more, I don't want to say like on board, but they were feeling a little better. But then when we started getting rid of the old trucks and getting a new equipment and painting the office, Got their attention. organizing the yard, they're like, all right, this, this could be good. Right. So the funny thing is their, their, their main guy at the time told me that the previous owner would lay them off, but he wouldn't really tell them they'd show up for work one day and there'd be a sign on the door saying, I'll call you in the spring. Oh. <laughs> no notice, no yeah. nothing. It was ridiculous. And yeah, a lot of things that guy did, I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's interesting. Like, and so in the, in the only for, you know, a person, business owner, listener who is uh, into their financials, when you looked at the financials, was it obvious where you could strip stuff out to get that negative back to break even? Honestly. Um, so my background, was, I was in university for mechanical engineering. I never finished it. I was never a finance guy. I was never good on numbers. So it's all kind of stuff I learned. Um, as things grew. So honestly, when I saw that spreadsheet, the, his uh, balance sheet, his income statements, I have a vague idea what was going on, <laughs> but honestly, I didn't look at it for too long. I'm like, this guy had no idea what he's doing. This is garbage. I just assumed I'm starting from zero. Ah. So that's what we did. I just kind of forgot about it for the most part. Assumed yeah. we're at ground zero. I had, he had great staff that we still have today. And like I said, the phone was ringing. So Obviously, I could just right make it work again, and that's exactly what happened. Under six months, we were we were back in the green, so it was good. And now, is that uh, is that is the is residential or is commercial? I want to say better, but are they are they like complementary to each other because of seasons, or is it like uh, you know one is drastically better than the other? Um, the residential stuff, as from a cash flow point of view, makes a lot more sense. Um, because you have two or three guys on a job, they're in and out in two days, off to the next job. Right. Then you have four or five crews doing the same thing. You're getting 15, 20 jobs are done right. a week sometimes, which is great. And people generally pay pretty quickly. Uh, so from cash point of cash flow point of view, that makes more sense. The residential stuff, sometimes you're on a job that's 20,000 square feet. And you're commercial. There. Yeah. And commercial. Is yeah, sorry. On a commercial job, you're there for sometimes three, four, five, two months. Sometimes. Right. Like, a long period of time. So you're, you get a deposit and you can have like draws as the job goes on, but the cash flow isn't there. Um, from an income per 
perspective, I guess, there's definitely more money on the flat roofing side of things, the industrial commercial stuff. Right. Um, but your liability is also higher. Like my insurance years ago was 12 grand. Last year was 80 grand. Like, right. It's crazy. Cause you got, you got heat or flames. Like the torch on guys got flames. Right. You got heights. The risk of burning down a building is obviously quite high. You got your fire watches, all the safety protocols. So a lot of the insurance companies are multinational global companies, as opposed to if you're a residential shingler, you can get insurance from any guy, right? Right. So if somebody burns down a building in Amsterdam, that might affect my rates here in Canada. So right. there's a lot more to it on, on that side of it. Um, in terms of the volume side of things, like the volume is great for cash flow, but it's also 10 times more headaches. So right. the office staff at the residential business is way higher. Yeah. There's more calls, there's more complaints, there's more issues, there's more um, job sheets to make, there's more work orders, there's more deliveries, there's more everything. It's 10 times more volume right. of things coming in. And I guess you can't really just say we only do big houses. And it, no. you know, cuz cuz then it just is sort of there isn't probably enough around. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking supply and demand and trying to like grow the business on the same infrastructure you have. Um, so a lot of things that I've noticed, like I always keep an eye on my competition. Like it's there again, roofers transient. You get a new guy that pops up for a year or two and then he's gone. Um, but some of the guys have been around for a while. I kind of just try to listen if I can tune into what they're doing, but some of them don't do repairs, for example, which Mm -hmm. blows my mind. Like competitors. Yeah. So if they have a leak or, uh, I don't know, a branch fell through the roof or I don't know, some, something small. Right. They don't even bother going because it's quote, not worth their time. I've gone to, I don't know, countless leaky skylights, for example, and we fix it. Sometimes I'll do it free of charge. Cause it was like, Oh, I just need a little bit of sealant here. Or I had to just change out that one shingle or right. something so small and the people are grateful. And then a lot of the times those roofs need to be done and that's why they're leaking. Right. So then I measure the roof and I get the job because I showed up to do the, the repair. Right. They were happy with my service. I gave them a price. They're, well, great. You did the job well. You showed up. I trust you with my roof. Or you get a guy like that says, do you guys do commercial buildings? I'm like, yes, we do. Well, I own a manufacturing facility. Right. Can you quote my $500,000 roof? You bet. Yeah. <laughs> so that $150 repair quote just turned into a half a million dollar job. You just never know. You never know. Yeah. And obviously you're dealing with people. You have no idea who these people are that you're dealing with. Everybody yeah. lives in a house. Right. So who's living in that house? I don't know. So you're, you're <laughs> going to find out. So it's amazing how short-sighted I think not doing small things for people is. Yeah. Because if you show up to do the small things that nobody wants to do, that speaks volumes about who you are. Right. Yeah. I, I care yeah, about well, your I think small it's, thing. it's yeah. just, uh, it's kind of gone so efficiency-based now yeah. that, you know, all the, you know, guru books, whatever, it's like, Oh, supply and demand, just like keep going up market, keep your time down, your team down. But then at the same time, there's, there's something in you that's, you know, you move from sort of the survive, stable success. Now it's like what next, which is like the, you know, the, the legacy piece of passing that knowledge on to your staff and, and running a business or having it run and in many years to come. If we were in a bigger demographic, I think I would approach things a little bit differently. Because like I said, what I do came, you think you'd do? Well, I came from Ontario, so it was a bigger market. I was in uh, Windsor at the time. There's 300,000 people per se. Um, and a lot of what I learned there has made me successful here. But you don't quote a job in Windsor 24 hours later. They've had four quotes from five different companies. Like It was crazy. Really? And then I came out here and everybody was kind of like on island time. 
So yeah. I was the only guy that was showing up and quoting things. And I was the only guy that was eager. I was the only guy honoring my time uh, commitments. Um, but being in a small town is great on the word of mouth side of things. Right. Because you do a good job for somebody, they're going to tell three of your friends. On the other side of the coin, you do a bad job for somebody, they're going to tell 20 of their friends. Yeah. So um, with the smaller demographic, you got to make sure you're on your game. You don't screw it up. You do what you say you're going to do. You keep your, com- your your customers happy. If they're not happy, find out why. Make sure they're happy. Like we've had two unsatisfied customers and in all our years, like two yeah. I can legitimately say bad. Yeah. I probably should have recognized it at the quoting side of things, but live and learn, I guess. Yeah. Um, in, in a bigger demographic, there's a lot more forgiveness for that because there's so many more clients looking for roofs. There's so many right. more different companies. People forget about who they even own, like used, right? So, um, if you can maintain what we do in a small demographic, a large demographic, it would be huge. Yeah. Is it necessarily necessary? Maybe not, but yeah. from a going to bed at night, knowing that I did everything I could for my clients to the best of my ability is important for me. Yeah. So I guess that one's kind of up to the, the business owner. <laughs> well, I, I, think, uh, I think that's a good bookend and you just provided a number of good nuggets. Where can people find more information on your businesses? <laughs> So I guess I should have a, a great, uh, outstanding answer for that. But we just have a website that hasn't yeah. been updated in five years. Like again, so so much of our market is determined just from being in this town, right? So integrityroofing.ca. Yeah, integrityroofing.ca is our, our website. I uh, <laughs> I appreciate the visit. It uh, there was a number of good things in there, and so I uh, I'll put all the show notes. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the show today. You bet. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, Go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy. 